0: A rogue U.S. general tries to start a nuclear war with Russia, and only a handful of people can prevent the end of the world. It's our 400th episode, and we're talking about modern conspiracy theories, penises that don't work, and the most fun city you can visit in Texas. Then we find out if Dr. Strangelove, or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb, stands the test of time.
1: James and Allen have their
0: say, Do the movies you love still hold up today? James
1: says Gladiator with the glutton.
0: Allen says as a father, blah blah. It's
1: the test of time. James and Allen have their say, Do
0: the movies you love still hold up today?
1: Test of time. James and Allen have their say,
0: Do the movies you love still hold up today?
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the test of time. My name is Alan Noah. Your name is James brief and it is episode 400. Yay. Four freaking
0: hundred episodes, James. This is a big deal. And I think we're going to review the movie about the 400 uh, Spartan soldiers that held
1: off the uh, Persians at the uh, cliffs of Thermopylae. No, you're thinking about 100 episodes ago, when for episode 300, we did the movie 300. And I did actually look up to see if there were any movies with 400 in the title. And there was one I found, but I don't think it was 15 years old, and it was some like f-level movie that i'd never heard of i think brandon routh was in it i was like this seems really stupid my dad, uh
0: he was raised in Paris till he was seventeen, and uh he used to talk about these French films and he watched French films even today. And uh there's a movie called The Four Hundred Blows. It's a famous film, but not not one we do for the four hundredth episode. You know, someday we'll do maybe French films.
1: Yeah, maybe once we get to like episode seventeen hundred and we're just kind of like out of ideas, maybe.
0: Well, by the time we get to episode 1700, we'll have all the, like, 2010 films to review, and that'll be a lot of fun, you know? (laughs) Right, right,
1: right, right. Along those lines, on the occasion of episode 400, is there anything in particular that you want to do on the podcast in the next 50, 100, whatever number of episodes? You know, I'd love to hear what you have to say first, Al. What what are you looking forward to? Okay, fair. I would like to do a lot of those movies that we say we'll get to someday. And not in the way that you just kind of said about that French movie that your dad liked. Because that's kind of one that I'm okay with having on the back burner. But I feel like there are so many movies that we say that about that... I really want to do, I want to actually do these movies. Let's just do the movies that we really want to do. There are, there are a lot on the list that I'm pretty excited about doing. Some great movies, some I think are pretty terrible, but I just haven't seen in a long time. There's also a lot of guests that I want to have on the show. A lot of guests I'd like to have back on the show, Adam Pincus, I think, was our first guest to join the Five Timers Club, and it's been ages since he's been on. I was texting with him earlier. I'm like, come back on the show, Adam. Kevin Smokler, I love that guy. How come we haven't had him back on in ages? So part of it is just like bringing people back, getting to some movies that we just really want to do. Yeah, I feel like let's just go for it, man.
0: I think as we go for the next 400 episodes, I think we'll slowly the, – the listeners won't notice it, but we'll steer more towards uh, – crypto bro podcast you know ever so slightly ever so slightly (laughs) you know what is gonna stand the test of time it's gonna be long island coin
1: (laughs) that one's going to the moon folks to the moon oh no i hate that idea let's not do that i also kind of like the idea of doing episodes based on things that are happening in the real world like we do a lot of movies that are coming out like oh there's a new one so we'll go back and watch the old one and i know this wasn't a fun example but i am proud of the fact that we did schindler's list that was also tied to the anniversary but also with everything going on in the world it felt timely and i hope there will be other occasions to do movies that are timely that will not be as depressing maybe you know in a happier more celebratory way no examples are springing to mind right now but it could happen
0: you know something I do like is that you know we are able to uh, watch films that I probably never would have watched before, even even movies I didn't particularly like. I didn't really uh, find the first Halloween that that interesting, or uh, the the uh, Steven Spielberg film that I'd never seen always uh, recently. However, th- then you re- revisit films that uh, you haven't seen that that are so much better uh, than they were. Um, Dazed and Confused, a movie that I was very, so uh, I was very happy to watch uh, that this was last year, A Night at the Roxbury. I had very low expectations and I laughed a few times and I was like, you know, I never would have seen this film. So that's something I like when a guest comes on and they go, can we review this random film that I don't know anything about? And uh, I'll go, all right, sure. And yeah. uh, that's what I've enjoyed the most about this podcast. And I think I'd like to do that again, kind of watching films that are a little out of my interest, I like getting that variety of uh, I'm not just stuff I like. And the guests, uh, very fun. If I'm talking strictly about the movies and the experience of doing it, it's exposing myself to uh, things I never would have done in the past.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Watching a movie that is new and interesting, even if I don't like it, I can still kind of chalk it up to A good experience, and hey, now I know this movie that I didn't know before, and that's still a win. Um, But I do also really enjoy revisiting some of these movies that I've only seen once or twice, and I kind of vaguely remember liking it, but I don't really remember a lot about it, which is exactly what uh, my experience was with Dr. Strangelove. I watched this movie Maybe around 20 years ago, I was on a kick where I was watching a bunch of movies that the Simpsons writers talked about on their DVD commentaries, because I was uh, listening to all of the Simpsons episodes without the commentary and then with the commentary, and this was one that kind of came up, that they love Dr. Strangelove. This was a brilliant comedy that influenced them, and I was like, huh. I've never watched that movie. I should get it on Netflix, and I got it on the DVD version of Netflix. It was that long ago. And I remember liking it, but, yeah, just hadn't really seen it or thought about it in a long time. And it did kind of seem like a good movie to do for episode 400. I think we missed the 60th anniversary. I think that was earlier in the year. So, oops, but whatever, close enough. You said you'd seen this movie once before, too, right?
0: Yeah, and I think it's somewhat of a similar story to you. I think okay. it was like my 20s. I think I was just kind of watching movies that I think were you're supposed to love. And uh, I will say that I didn't quite get this film when I first watched it uh, okay. 20 years ago. I definitely uh, I had a different experience watching it this time. Um, you know, there was one piece of trivia I want to ask you for uh, episode 400 Um Do you know what the uh, longest title of any film
1: we've reviewed is? You mean before this movie? Or is that the answer? It's it's this movie? That's correct. That's the answer. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yes. And I have been thinking, how the hell am I going to fit this on the episode artwork, Dr. Strangelove? Or colon, how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. I'm going to have to use a very small font size to fit that all in. Um, I think just as we're talking about it, we can just call it Dr. Strangelove because everyone knows what we mean. But yeah, the full title is really, really long.
0: Yes, but at least the full title, it's not Dr. Strangelove parentheses, uh, how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Uh, Mr. Kubrick is giving you a choice. Yes. So I think we are free to just call it Dr. Strangelove.
1: Right, right. I think that's fair. Maybe when we record the intro, maybe we should just say Dr. Strangelove. Otherwise, we're going to have a very, very long piece of music. I don't know. Whatever. We'll we'll worry about that later. But James, why don't you tell our listeners what this movie is about if they haven't seen Dr. Strangelove or how I learned to uh, stop worrying and love the bomb?
0: Uh, All right. Well, this film is director Stanley Kubrick's take on the Cold War and the fears of a nuclear Armageddon between the Soviet Union and the United States. When an unhinged U.S. Air Force general, uh, General Ripper, orders a first-strike nuclear attack, believing that the communists are poisoning Americans by fluorinating the water supply, General Turgesson advises the President of the United States that the best course of action is to go forward with the attacks and destroy Russia. But President Muffley wants to recall the order and prevent a global holocaust. This proves difficult, as Ripper has locked down his base, and Major Kong, the pilot of a bomber jet flying into the USSR, is determined to destroy his targets. And in the war room, a bizarre former Nazi scientist named Dr. Strangelove has his own thoughts about the future.
1: Right. I know this movie is revered and uh, kind of put on a pedestal as one of the best comedies of all time, but how did it do when it first came out?
0: Well, um, you know, box office records and stats are uh, very hazy when you get before the late 70s, but uh, th- this film, uh, by some records, cost up to $2 million to make, uh, 1800000 million I'd seen, but in the box office alone it made uh, $9.1 million in its initial run. Okay. This is one of these films that had several re-releases because in the days before home video that's really the only way to see it if you missed the initial uh, theater run. So it does appear that even on its first run, this was quite successful okay um it was released on january twenty fourth nineteen sixty four after the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in November of 1963. And this film, all about Cold War, uh, the fears, and nuclear Armageddon, was about to be released. uh, I think it was going to be November 1963. But the producers wisely uh, pushed it back. And having experienced September 11th, I could see that you know a real espionage thriller about a building blowing up uh, would not be the best thing to be released uh, on September 15th uh, 2001
1: well it's a little bit different though because this movie isn't about a presidential assassination this movie is about global conflict and things like that and i mean i get it i i understand your point the president of the united states is a main character in this movie so still might feel a little too close to home.
0: Oh, I mean, I think the subject is just very heavy because at the time, who knows who killed him? This guy, Jack Ruby, kills uh, the Lee Harvey Oswald, so we don't know what's going on. Was it, quote-unquote, the Russians? This is not the best time for uh, American stability. People aren't really sure what's going to go on with the world. Kennedy had just had those, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis in which uh, America had just missed a uh, nuclear Armageddon. Really, it came down to a couple people uh, that basically changed the difference between attacking Cuba with uh, nuclear missiles in the 60s. This fear was definitely in people's minds, but this really is, it's a black comedy, um, yeah. and, you know, by that, I mean, you know it, it's very dark humor. And you kind of have Peter Sellers, who I don't really know him very well, but I know he was one of the greats. And I know he eventually was um, uh, the Pink Panther. Right, Inspector and, Kuso. Yeah, who was a very, very famous
1: uh, comedic uh, role. I think there were, there were probably like four of those or something. Five. Similarly, I don't know a lot about Peter Sellers. I've seen maybe one or two of the original Pink Panther movies. But I know that he is revered as being a very funny guy. Also, this movie is directed by Stanley Kubrick, who I do not at all associate with comedy. When I think of Stanley Kubrick, I think of 2001, Cole in a Space Odyssey. I think of Full Metal Jacket. I think of movies that are really fucking serious. And this movie is really fucking funny. And that's fine. A, a talented filmmaker can do any number of genres, of course. But I really forgot just how funny this movie is and how weird that is for me, at least in my mind, to have that level of comedy come from director Stanley Kubrick.
0: It's it's fascinating that he was able to do this. And I think that uh, Stanley Kubrick is one of those people that... It's a real shame that he passed away when he did. Eyes Wide Shut was his last film, and right. that, was, uh, that was late 90s, right? Yeah. You know, he did not do a CGI film. And uh, it would have been fascinating to see what he would have done with just something in the 2000s.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's worth it to mention that when Stanley Kubrick was first brainstorming what this movie was going to be, It wasn't originally conceived as a comedy. It was going to be a very serious look at, you know, the threat of nuclear war. But then as he was kind of kicking around all of these ideas, you know, smart men in a room talking about these things, he found that there was just comedy inherent in it. And he was like, well, I could write around the comedy or I could lean into it. And that was what he ultimately decided to do was to lean into it. So it seems like it was a case of the material kind of dictating the direction. It is a tough subject. And I do think from a test of time perspective, that is the one elephant in the room that today in 2024, I don't think your average American is terrified of nuclear war in the way that they were 60 years ago. We could be a year or two away from that, though. That is true. And it was just recently, uh, I forget the name of the congressman who, like, uh, put out a thing about, oh, no, there's some security threat we all need to talk about. And it was about how Russia could be uh, detonating a a nuclear bomb in space. I mean, honestly, I think if we had recorded this episode even 10 years ago in 2014, we might have said something like, no one cares about Russia. Russia's not a threat. Who is afraid of Russia? Now... In 2024, that's not the case. And I think Putin has shown uh, just how aggressive he can be. And he is a scary guy. They have a considerable army and they are looking to do damage. Listen, I'm not a, a Putin expert. I don't really think he wants to start a nuclear war. I don't think that's what he's going for. Who the fuck knows? But, like, it's just not a thing that I think people are worried about. The things that I'm more worried about are, you know mass shootings i worry that if biden wins in november that there will be fucking riots and people doing january 6 but times a thousand that's the kind of shit that i worry about there are other people in this country who worry far more about migrants crossing the border and breaking into their houses, or Obama turning all of their guns trans or whatever the fuck they worry about. There are things that people are worried about that are not nuclear war. And to be clear, I'm not saying that nobody should be worried about nuclear war, there's still a lot of fucking nuclear weapons on this planet, this shit could happen, And someone could make a movie today in 2024 about the threat of nuclear war and say, hey, everyone, you're all sleeping on this threat, but we should be fucking scared of this.
0: Right, right. I mean, I think it's uh, it's just, it's the fear of the times. Uh, yes. When you look at a, a story like uh, X-Men or uh, Spider-Man that are from uh, the uh, mid-20th century, how do they get created? A radioactive spider. And the X-Men are the uh, result of radiation causing mutations. But, you know, later uh, when they do the Sam Raimi uh, films, they call it a genetically modified spider. And X-Men is more of ...about just general uh, mutations causing uh, the the X-Men. You know, it's always just something that they, that they fear. It's not even Al-Qaeda anymore, now it'd be something else. It could very well go back to Russia soon... Inevitably, it's just going to take one random Yahoo to just uh, release this thing. It only works when every single person agrees not to set off these uh, these devices, which is the yeah. mutually assured destruction that uh, that basically got the US and USSR through the uh, Cold War. And that this film is basically uh, the... Would you call it the MacGuffin of the film? or No. no it, well, it's the driving device of the film uh, in, in that the Soviets have created a doomsday device that if the Soviet Union is attacked with a nuclear bomb, that this thing will automatically set off some cobalt Forty something, and this will cover the earth in uh, you know the deadly radiation cloud. There is a logic to this. Like, do not think about this stupid, stupid idea of nuclear war. Maybe you'll win, maybe you'll lose, but if you try it, we all lose, and we guarantee it here. One of my favorite lines in the film is uh, when when the uh, Soviet ambassador guy in the war room is explaining the doomsday device. No one knows anything about it, and Doctor Strangeov is like, "Yes, but." Why what is the point of this device if you don't tell anyone about it? And the Russian ambassador is like, well, we were about to tell you this Sunday at the like international conference. Right. It kind of sounds like something that could actually happen.
1: Right, right. I think there are a lot of things in this movie that are preposterous, but also do feel kind of grounded and believable. The whole, like, conspiracy theory about, like, the the fluoridation of the water, and that's what leads Ripper to initiate this attack, that really feels believable. That definitely stands the test of time. Conspiracy theories have always existed. They were around in 1964. The fluoridation thing was an actual conspiracy theory then. Then, of course, after Kennedy was assassinated, all kinds of conspiracy theories popped up. And conspiracy theories are really fucking mainstream. One of the two political parties in this country just deals in conspiracy theories all the time. That whole like Pizzagate conspiracy theory was a joke until it wasn't until the guy showed up at that pizza place with a gun because of course somebody would do that. Uh, Are you familiar with Jordan Klepper, the Daily Show guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's uh, probably one of the best things about The Daily Show these days. Yes. And and he had a podcast where he like really unpacked some of the crazy conspiracy theories that he hears about because he always goes to like the MAGA rallies and interviews people. And watching those videos of him interviewing people, that's crazy and it blows your mind. The podcast though was really good. I recommend it. He unpacked the theory about how Trump is still in charge of the military, even though he's not president anymore. The whole blood libel conspiracy, like these things are batshit insane and people believe them and some of the people who believe these conspiracies work in the government. That's the thing that's scary about Dr. Strangelove. It's General Ripper, a guy who has real power, real authority. He believes this shit, and so we're all going to fucking die. And, you know, a lot of the guys who are there on January 6th, they're cops. They're government employees who who believe this shit. And it's really fucking terrifying. While
0: watching this film, I couldn't help but think of another film. I've only seen it once, but it's a film from the 90s. Basically, it's it's uh, the other side of the coin of this uh but have you ever seen a film called Crimson Tide? No, I know of it, but haven't seen it. Yeah, it's based on a real story of something that happened in a in a Soviet uh, uh, sub. You know, these subs have nukes on them. Yeah. And, you know, at some point in theory, they could have the orders to launch them. How do they confirm that these orders are correct? Okay. Uh, basically. Uh, and that's basically what happens in this film. And it starts talking about, you know, the... the Uh, how nukes in the end are just going to be one guy because these planes, uh, they they have some kind of order to attack the Soviet Union, and then all the planes are recalled, but one of the planes with the guy uh, Slim Pickens, uh, his plane is damaged, so they can't get the recall message. It's unfortunately too real, though, that just basically one guy could do this. Yeah. And I don't really believe that one guy could do this, but I think in the end, you know, there will be a guy on that submarine, you know, yeah, you might have to turn two keys or something, but it's not going to take the will of the nation to, uh, to set up a nuke. And right. I like to believe that the American uh, nuclear bombs are very, very secure. But there's a lot of countries out there, and I'm not just talking about the uh, Russia or the former Soviet Union uh, satellite countries that uh, I'm not super secure, but there's a lot of other countries that either have a nuke or uh, we don't know that they have a nuke. And who knows how secure these things are. And these countries, you know, in the course of the next hundred years, eventually some of these countries are being taken over and will turn over to new governments. What happens during these turnovers? Who knows what happens to these bombs? Wasn't that like every uh, 1990s, like early 2000s, like plot, like breakaway uh, satellite country from the former Soviet Union, something, something sold their nukes.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, I mean, these weapons are out there and who's in charge of them? People. And people are corruptible. People are sometimes dumb people sometimes make mistakes the reason that ripper has this idea about fluoridation that inspires him to launch this attack which you know he doesn't know about the uh the doomsday machine so he's not necessarily plotting to end the world but he's definitely hoping to annihilate russia it all comes because he can't get it up It's some, like, weird sexual experience that he has, which leads him to this revelation about the fluoridation and the water and the commies and and everything else. Like, that's petrifying and hilarious and believable, right? Like, that somebody out there would have some weird thing—something doesn't work right with their dick, so millions of people die.
0: Well, um, it's not— Completely unbelievable because, you know, what's the reason you don't have a job? Is it because you're not in the right area for this line of work? Uh, Your line of work, there's not available things. Or is it that fucking foreigner asshole that took your job? You know, it's a lot easier to say it's not your fault but it's someone else's fault and I have nothing to do with it so you know th- this guy he looks like he's in his 40s or you know early 50s or something if his dick doesn't work could it just be you know maybe he's getting older no fucking way it's gotta be those Soviets that are doing this to me Right? and you know how I could prove it because 10 years ago when I was 35 this never happened so now with more <laughs> Soviets here I-, I think we've seen examples 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 of presidents doing something for their personal ego rather than uh, necessarily in our nation's best interest. No,
1: that's never happened. I disagree.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, going to
1: wars
0: and uh, these things really can come down to someone being personally insulted. Sure. And then, you know, entire governments can change.
1: Right. There are a lot of other sex jokes in this movie, too. When we first meet uh, Turgidson, he's with his secretary, who he's clearly having an affair with. And, you know, he takes a phone call from her when he's in the war room. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to make you Mrs. General Turgidson someday. And the only way that they can get the Soviet premier, they have to track him down at his girlfriend's mistress's apartment or something where he's drunk. And the final scene of the movie is everyone in the war room talking about how they're going to rebuild society by having lots and lots of sex with lots and lots of beautiful women in the mines. And then everyone's like, Oh, you know what? This sounds okay because they're all going to be included. So all of a sudden the end of the world doesn't sound so bad because yay, we're going to get laid. I thought that was really funny. I
0: thought of that scene in a different light after having seen uh, "Don't Look Up." That's the Armageddon yeah. film, and there's an asteroid heading towards Earth. Uh, they're trying to stop the asteroid, but there is also a failsafe. There's one rocket that's going to take like 50 years in like cryo sleep or something, but it's going to get to some other, you know, Earth two and and repopulate the Earth. The people picked to be on this rocket ship—it's all the like senators and presidents and these people and what did I notice? They're all old. Like if you're gonna have a repopulate the earth thing, you pretty much have to populate it with like you know, 20-somethings and, like, teenagers pretty much because these people have to live... I think they said it's going to be, like, 99 years or something.
1: 93.
0: So at the time when these uh, people are ready to resurface, there's going to be people that remembered what it was like on the surface, you know, and that's not going to be the the 65-year-old president of the United States. But it's very believable to me that people would make that mistake, that choosing who to go... And, you know, obviously that's a very ethically... uh, gray area but obviously if you did want to pick something just purely on logic and you know maybe you'd pick a couple of people who know how to grow things a couple of farmers a couple of doctors and a couple uh, you know et cetera, et Very et subtle. Farmers. some doctors huh yeah, I mean, specifically pediatricians for uh-huh. all the young people that are there sure this pediatrician of course would be exempted from the you have to be in the 20s thing
1: oh. right, right
0: it's you know, and, and, you know would have to probably have the best accommodations
1: right 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 but would still not be exempt from the having lots of sex with all the beautiful women thing right i think to repopulate
0: the population of pediatricians uh-huh, they should uh-huh. they should re- replicate the pediatrician yes okay okay but, you know i mean but even if you were to take this logical it always seems like the m- most uh logical people to be in the uh the minds are not the young uh the, you know capable people but the War Room Politicians. Right. And I, I just thought that was great.
1: Well, and I mean, Dr. Strangelove is virtually orgasmic as he's talking about this because... This is eugenics. This is what the Nazis wanted to create a master race. He's finally going to get what he always wanted. And he can't stop hiling. And his his hand is just, you know, out of control. And then he's able to get up and, and stand, even though he was confined to a wheelchair. Because, yeah, he wants to have sex, too. So he has to show that the lower part of his body works. And, I mean, it's really funny. It, it's not a funny thing to talk about. But this scene is hilarious. Yeah, I mean, do you know
0: who Dr. Strangelove is modeled after? Do you know, like, the whole Nazi thing...
1: I know that he was not modeled after Kissinger, but there was some German scientist that he was based on.
0: So there was something called uh, Operation Paperclip. Yes, And uh, the Germans had the best rockets in the world. Uh, they had just perfected the V2 rocket, and that was a rocket that from mainland Europe was basically gonna be able to hit London. But of course, uh, you know, the, the Nazi regime fell apart in 1945, and the Americans and the Soviets, They both knew two things. One, we're totally buddies right now in World War II, but obviously now that Germany is gone, you and I are the two new uh, powers and we are not gonna be friends for a while. And number two, these rockets like completely changed the uh, tide of World War II. We wanna get these motherfucking scientists. And that's how the Americans and Soviets were able to have the space race. But uh, Werner uh, von Braun, he's the guy that's responsible for basically the entire uh, uh, Apollo and uh, the Gemini and Mercury programs. And he was a total Nazi. Right. And, you you know, they kind of quietly just put all these guys in like Mississippi or something, all these Nazis. And all the other guys were tried and everything. But, you know, these guys were like, all right, shut up and just build us rockets.
1: Right. I mean, it's sort of like the people who are selected to go in the mines, right? Like, if you have an in, your sins are forgiven, you can go and have the nice life. I mean, it's fucked up that the, these Nazis were given a, a pass. Turgensen, uh even says, like, Strangelove, what kind of a name is that? And then the other guy says, oh, he changed it from the German and I don't remember the word and I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it, but he says a German name that apparently is the the equivalent of Strange Love, he, you know. He just made the English version of it.
0: Ah, oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Peter Sellers. He famously plays uh, three roles in this film. Right. He plays uh, Captain Mandrake. He's the uh, British guy, A very reformed uh, British guys. Yes. Well. aha uh-huh, Yes. Good chap.
1: And he's very like self-effacing, and he's he he knows that Ripper is batshit insane, but he's just like talking to him with that dry British wit and trying to calm him down and trying to get the codes to, you know, prevent this nuclear Holocaust. But he's still being very prim and proper and polite about all of it. It's very funny.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, He is a fantastic negotiator. Uh, Unfortunately, the guy kills himself. Yeah. But um, he plays uh, the very American uh, president, uh, President
1: Muffley. President Merkin Muffley, which is really fucking funny that his first name is Merkin. I don't know if they ever say that, but uh, I saw that on IMDb.
0: Oh, that, I didn't uh, catch that. But he also then plays the uh, very uh, German uh, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. And these are very, very different characters. Yes. And it's fantastic that he can play these roles that I actually was wondering. I knew he played Strangelove, but I had to look up who his other roles were because, again, not knowing who Peter Sellers were, was maybe would be a little more uh, identifiable to me had I known him. But I, I think these three characters are completely completely different looking uh yeah. the president is bald mandrake has this like 60s military guy haircut and Strangelove has this kind of seth rogan uh you know fro they look totally different obviously you know wigs and makeup and everything but just also the mannerisms uh the, cellars, accents. the accents um they're ridiculous, but they're so well done that they're funny. Like, the the accents are funny. Even the American accent of uh, President Mandrake is, it's one of my favorite lines in the entire film, uh, conversations rather, when Sellers, playing the president, he's having this conversation with the uh, Soviet premier, Yeah, and we don't hear the other guys. It was just Sellers talking into a phone. You know, it's so funny because he's basically trying to tell the Soviet premier, there are nukes heading your way it wasn't our fault let's work together but three quarters of this conversation is about the president trying to make pleasantries because dimitri the uh premier on the other side of the phone call is more involved in in whether or not the president is his friend
1: you don't call to say hi i can hear you fine you're fine we're all fine it's fine to be fine yeah that that scene is fucking hilarious and so so much funnier that we don't hear what the premiere is saying if it was on speaker it would be far less funny.
0: Right, and even just from an acting point of view, maybe there's an earpiece telling him, like, you know, here's what the premiere is saying, now you return a line. But I don't think he's doing it. I think it's just completely ad-libbed. Not ad-libbed, rather, you know,
1: he does the other part in his head. No, he was ad-libbing. Uh, Peter Sellers ad-libbed a lot.
0: Or rather ad-libbed, but I mean, it's so well done. Just his weird, like, yes, and uh, and e- yes, Dimitri. And I was watching it thinking, Wow, there is nobody else on the other side of this telephone. But he is acting exactly like we've all been in that situation of dude shut up let me get like one word in here because I want to tell you about a nuke heading your way and I don't want to talk about how nice it is to be nice
1: right and also the premier is drunk and with his girlfriend so he kind of has to get over that hurdle but yeah I mean like you don't ever call just to say hi is really funny and then when the premier is saying that he's very sorry and then the president's like well I'm sorry too well don't say that I'm not as sorry as you are I mean the whole exchange is just fucking brilliant. It is really, really funny. And Peter Sellers liked to ad-lib and Stanley Kubrick really liked to get a lot of takes from his actors. That's kind of what, uh, what he's known for as a director. And Peter Sellers didn't want to give multiple takes because he felt like he nailed it once And then was done or he would do another take, but it would be very different. So it wasn't going to be the same thing. So that kind of forced uh, Kubrick to pick the best choice, which, you know, he had, he had good stuff. Also, we should mention that Peter Sellers was supposed to play a fourth role. He was supposed to play Major Kong, the character that was played by Slim Pickens. Apparently, uh, Sellers did some rehearsals in the airplane or maybe even did some shooting in the plane. But then he injured himself and he's like, I can't do this. This is a lot of work for one movie. So he ultimately only did three roles. And it came from um, the studio. Apparently, uh, he played a couple of roles in Lolita. I've never seen that movie. It's another Kubrick film. Yes. uh, And apparently also a, a dark comedy But uh, the studio felt that Peter Sellers in multiple roles made Lolita a hit. So that's why they uh, kind of forced Kubrick to do that again here. Um, I think it's fine that he's only three and that he's not also uh, the fourth role of Major Kong. Mainly because everything that happens on that plane is not a joke. All of those scenes are played completely straight. Like the one laugh is when they're kind of going through everything that's in their survival kit. And it's, you know, nine packs of gum and two prophylactics and pet pills and sleeping pills and trank pills and all of those different things. That's mildly funny. But those guys... They're not in on the joke, and I think that's very much by design. You don't want to be laughing at them. These guys are good military soldiers. They're going to complete their mission no matter what, and that's terrifying given everything else that's happening in the movie, but you don't want to be laughing at them. So I think it kind of works better for the overall comedy of the movie as a whole that those guys aren't funny and that therefore one of them was not played by Peter Sellers, who probably would have made it funnier
0: um i think it works that it, it's not uh sellers because i think that character is very funny uh no or not, rather not funny you're you're right he it's a straight character until the end where he's just kind of insane
1: with that iconic uh h-bomb with the cowboy hat also uh james earl jones in his film debut in this movie he's like a baby face Uh, I did not
0: even know James Earl Jones was in this film.
1: Oh, yeah. He's one of the guys on the plane. And uh, Kong kind of references the fact that one of the guys on the plane is black when he's saying that we're all going to be heroes. We're all going to get commendations for everyone on the plane, regardless of your race or creed. He's basically saying, yes, even you. uh, I forget what his character's name is. But yes, even you, the black guy, you will get a medal, too because this was 1964, and that was not necessarily a foregone conclusion. But James, let me ask you, on our 400th episode, do you think that Dr. Strangelove stands the test of time?
0: You know, sometimes you watch one of these films, uh, one of the older ones, and I'll be a little bit embarrassed if I don't like it, or I'm like, this is a classic. I mean, I... Yes, I mean I I guess it was okay sort of but I have to say watching this film I thought it was uh, very well made and it still stands up and now we're talking about nukes in space but Armageddon is on our minds. Whether or not uh, Russia's instability in Europe and uh, or viruses or global warming, there's always going to be something that uh, mankind could be doing. Uh, the first half of the film uh, really deals with uh, Captain Mandrake. He's trying to get from the insane general, he's trying to get this code yeah. so that he can like withdraw Draw the, uh, the, the 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 bombers and the whatnot, and they say at one point that there's over seventeen thousand permutations of this code, so it'll take the computers over two and a half days to break it, and I'm like. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't even come close to saying that with a straight face today. You'd have to say, like, there's 2.8 trillion uh, combinations, so it would take a week for the computers to do it. I I don't know
1: about that. They have to communicate those three-letter codes to the pilot. You have to transmit it, and they have to hear it. So it's not just like running a a computer program where, yeah, you can try all of them instantly.
0: Oh, okay. I, I like that. Okay um you know there was one piece of trivia that i read and there's a line uh uh, when they're reviewing some of the survival uh packs the captain goes a fella could have a pretty good weekend in vegas with this kind of stuff and apparently the original line was a fella could have a pretty good weekend in dallas with all this stuff and people didn't really want to talk about dallas it was a somber place but i was even thinking when i saw that thing i'm like dallas like what a weird thing to say yeah like austin is the fun city in texas you want to go to um so i just thought that was interesting like wow back then dallas was known as the like new orleans las vegas uh new york kind of like party miami uh kind of city there but overall, you need to pay attention a little bit. It's not its not as spoon-fed to you as the plot could be today. You know, I, I thought it was a little confusing what was going on with the army kind of invading another American army base. But then it quickly was explained to me. It was funny. And, you know, when a film that's 60 years old can make me laugh, I think that's a pretty good accomplishment. Um, It made me laugh and it made you think and it's, uh, you know, and the movie ends. I mean, the movie ends with nuclear Armageddon. It goes there and it says, "Yep, they fucked up and now everyone dies. And I think that's one of the first films to kind of show, not necessarily America's bad, but like, you know, it's one of these Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. Hey, this weapon that we're still maybe celebrating ended the worst war we've ever seen. Like, it may not always be like a great thing. And you have to be really careful with this. And so for all that, I think the messages in the movie stands the test of time. What do you think, Al? Uh, Doctor Strange of or How I Learned to Stop Worrying, and Love the Bomb. Do you
1: think it stands the test of time? Oh, fuck yeah. This movie is genius. It is really, really funny. I agree with you about how comedies don't always age well. We've seen it many, many times, but this movie had me laughing out loud 60 years after it was made. Absolutely, it stands the test of time. You know, I mentioned the fear of nuclear war being less prevalent. The other thing that I think leapt out at me from a test of time perspective is early in the movie, Ripper tells Mandrake to confiscate all radios. And then Mandrake is confiscating one radio, but it switches on and he hears just normal music, which makes him think that the world isn't uh, ending and there aren't nuclear bombs flying every which way. Nowadays, it would be cell phones, and it would be pretty easy to pull out your phone from your pocket and find out if bombs are flying. Although I think it would be an easy thing to write around that on this particular base, the insane general turned off the Wi-Fi. He destroyed the cellular tower or whatever, and so they have no way of connecting. Um, At the end of the movie, when they're talking about the mines and they're going to have to go into uh, these mines to you know repopulate the earth, I think it's a little bit unbelievable from a test of time perspective that there aren't already bunkers already built for people to go into to survive a nuclear attack that the president would know about and that there would be some kind of system already in place. And you know, it works fine for the movie and the comedy as they're talking about how they're going to develop the system and who's going to go into the mines. But I think nowadays we would expect if a movie was talking about that, yeah, there's already these shelters and we know where to go and we know who to bring and we have them already stocked with plants and wildlife and seeds and all of those things. One other thing is that some of those shots of the plane look pretty bad. Just kind of sped up uh, footage because they needed to show the plane going fast. And it kind of looked like uh, those bad flying shots from Superman 4. There were a couple of moments like that in the movie. But I'm nitpicking. This movie is fantastic. It's really fucking funny. It's really smart. It makes a very good point. We're always just one fucking psycho away from total annihilation the wrong dude if he can't get it up we could all die (laughs) that's terrifying and believable and funny and yeah it really really cracks me up i i love this movie so speaking of Men
0: with erectile dysfunction could destroy the earth. Don't forget to vote for one of the septo or octogenarian uh, presidential nominees this November.
1: <laughs> I mean, obviously, I have made my political bias very clear on this show. I feel like it's more likely that Trump would be more angry about a bad sexual encounter that would lead to Armageddon. I feel like Biden just doesn't care anymore.
0: Um, actually, recently Biden said the secret to his great marriage with uh Jill Biden is apparently a
1: great sex. oh, so um, go Joe, go Joe and go Jill. That's awesome. Um is Trump getting laid? I mean, with all of these court appearances, where the fuck is Melania? Has anyone seen Melania in ages? Oh, he's getting laid. I don't think it's from Melania. (laughs) I mean, uh, I was wondering,
0: who is he sleeping with in the White House? I don't know, but it wasn't Melania.
1: Right, right, right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. That's going to do it for episode 400. Next week, we are going to talk about Splash, the Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah movie. Have you ever seen Splash, James?
0: I've never seen this film.
1: I'm pretty sure I saw it as a kid, but I don't think I've seen it in 35 to 40 years, give or take. So I'm looking forward to revisiting that movie. In the meantime, guys, we want to hear from you. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, X, Instagram threads. Drop us a line. Say hi. You can congratulate us for episode 400 if you want to. Whatever. Uh, you could also leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars on whatever app you're listening to us on. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.